Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here at Woven Covenant Church. And uh, we are wrapping up a series on the theme of faith and work. And faith and work is something that's near and dear to my heart. And I believe also for all of you as well, because you are people, you're Christians that live in real life, in, real, in a real world. And as you work, um, my hope is to find ways to encourage you and to equip and empower you to live faithful Christian living, not just showing up on Sunday, not just getting our souls saved and away to heaven, but also to help us to redeem heaven on earth and to redeem creation, to redeem this world through our work. Work is a beautiful thing. It's a good thing, and it even existed before the fall in the garden. Now, to that end, I'm going to introduce Paul to come up at this time and to talk about uh, faith and work from the perspective of the oil and gas industry. And a few things about Paul as he kind of gets situated here. Um, tell you about his family. He's married to Shelly, who also she serves on our LT, on our leadership team. She's our chairwoman. And he's dad to Nathan and Avery. And it was my privilege to um, see these babies born and to grow. Um, actually, when your second baby was in the, in the hospital just being birthed, I was at the hospital at the same time. And so we have a lot of um, memories together, um, I do, with the Kim family. Actually, when I go back and I think about my seven years here, um, I think the Kim family and then the Lee family, Bennett's family, were with us from the very, very beginning, from the longest time. And so, you know, I, I, look, at, I look at you, Paul, I look at your family and, you know, the past seven years, and I'm really grateful for our friendship. You've seen the good, you've seen the bad. You've seen the ugly, you've, you know, you've seen everything happen, and yet still your continued friendship is very meaningful. So uh, professionally, Paul Kim serves as manager over special projects at Oasis Petroleum and uh, also over their accounting, regulatory accounting, and production reporting. Um, he has over 12 years of experience in the oil and gas industry, and prior to joining Oasis, he's also held positions uh, with Protivity, in consulting practice, um, working with numerous clients, assisting with process design, improvement, internal audit, Sarbanes Oxley 404 <laughs> compliance. How do you say that? Sarbanes. Sarbanes, Sarbanes Oxley. Um, and uh, that's what he does for a living. Um, all of that is pretty much Greek to me, but I'm sure when I yeah. talk, it's Greek to you as well. So why don't I pray for Paul? And uh, I'm going to turn the mic over to him. So God, I pray for my brother today, and as he shares about his, his experiences and struggles in the oil and gas industry, and even shares from vulnerability and shares his own life, I pray that you would help us to hear something that makes sense to us, that equips us, that empowers us for our work. So Lord, at this time, give him the words to speak, and I pray that you would uh, give us the ears to hear. And afterwards, as we have some interview questions, pierce our souls, we pray, O oh Lord. Pierce our souls. And in Jesus' name, we turn it over to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Mike. So, you know, putting this thing on here really uh, just instilled the power of in sync in me, right? And had I known that Lance was going to be here today, I would have had him join me up here so we could go bye, 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 right? But um, yeah, Lance or Howie, whatever you want to call him. And Sarben is, is probably how you would pronounce that word, too. <laughs> so um, thank you, Pastor Wayne, for the introduction. So my name is Paul, um, and I have the privilege, and, um, 
And, you know, I always think that whenever a pastor asks me to come up here, they're weighing a lot of risk, right? They're thinking, am I really going to put this guy up here? Because you have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth, right? Uh, but I, I do uh, take this as a privilege to be able to share with you guys a little bit about, about my work. I think uh, it's kind of fun, kind of interesting, because Shelly really doesn't know what I do, right? I don't think a lot of people know what I do. Um, so let me just kind of briefly talk through, um, you know, Pastor Wayne, I gave you that synopsis, a little bit of what I do. So really what I, what I do for a living is I'm like an in-house consultant for an uh, oil gas company, right? So I came from a risk consulting background. And what I do is whenever our business expands, changes, I am there on the forefront to figure out how do we implement or change our business model in order to accommodate anything new that comes into to our company, right? So our company continues to expand our business. Um, and just to talk a little bit about Oasis Petroleum, and I'll have a few slides up here and pictures, but Oasis Petroleum, we drill out in the North Dakota, Montana region, right? So we are those people that drill holes in the ground, produce oil, and then we sell it to the marketplace for get find where it gets made into all these different products. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about what exact products come out of what we do, because I think a lot of people have this misconception. It's like gasoline, right, for your cars. That's what, you know, because you see Chevron signs and Shell signs, but I can assure there's a lot more to get cars and gasolines. Uh, so, oh yeah, look at that. He brought it up already. Okay, so talking about byproducts, Right? So if, if you don't know a little bit about the oil industry, you, these are all the byproducts. Just a, a snippet, 140 of 6,000 different things. And I'm not sure if you can read a lot of this stuff. But these are the, the products that we use on a daily basis that come from oil. Right? And, and I think for a, lo- for a lot of us, that might be surprising. It was for me when I started digging into this stuff. And I was like, oh, it's just gas. Right? No. There's a whole bunch of other stuff here. Um, among things that I really like here are like mops and basketballs, purses, shoes. <laughs> Soaps, you know, um, a lot of things that come out of oil. So a lot of good things, right? But um, just to, I'm going to follow my agenda here. So a lot of what I do right now is around acquisitions and divestitures, right? So we're constantly acquiring more properties, acquiring more companies, uh, more oil and gas assets. And so I'm constantly on that forefront where we get to closing. So if you ever bought a house, you know, there's a bunch of closing documents you have to sign. There's a cash settlement that occurs there. But then there's this whole thing called integration, right? And that's kind of like if you think about when you buy a house, you're like moving our stuff in, setting up shop. That's what my job is also to do is integrate those assets into our core business processes and make sh- making sure that there's no hiccups along the way. So that's a lot of what I do. Um, so to give you some flavor of my life, and maybe you can pull up the picture. So I took a picture of my office. I, it's hard to see. It's hard to see here, but that's my office. And if you see my desk, if you can tell, it's messy. It's always that way. It's like almost a bunch of papers on my desk. And I'm always like flipping through and fishing through stuff to try to find the paper I'm looking for. Um, Maybe a New Year's resolution for me. But um, on a daily basis, I get about 100 emails a day. I think that's normal for a lot of people, right? But on average, 100 uh, emails. And then I sit in about four to five meetings a day. So on a 10-hour workday, I'm probably at my desk like half, less than half the day because I'm constantly in meetings. Um, I think that's kind of common, but, you know, with organizations, when you think about efficiencies, meetings is one of the biggest costs to an organization, people's time, right? Um, I mean, people are being paid salaries, and they're sitting in meetings together. Um, I currently have two, the way if you think about, like, an organizational structure, um, I have two people that report directly to me, and underneath them, they have people that report to them. So in total, I have about a a team of about 10 to 11 people. Um, 
And then our company its size, itself, its size is 500 employees. My department, which is the accounting department, is 50 people. All right, just to give you guys kind of a, a, a view of, of what my uh, organizational structure is like. Um, and I'm really just going to go through some facts first, and then I'll talk through a little bit about uh, spirituality in the workplace. So I used to work at Protivity. Uh, Pastor Wayne mentioned this. And I wanted to touch upon that because I used to travel a lot. Um, the first three years of work, I traveled on average 40 weeks a year, right? The, the most I traveled in one singular year was 48 weeks. So every week except for four weeks, I was, at, I was in, you know, on the road. And so uh, with that came like platinum status at Marriott, right? Uh, lots of miles. And I, I, you know, I was young, right? I, I didn't, I didn't uh, mind it at all. But I was always on the road. And I know I mean, Ryan's here. So Ryan used to know, like, I used to lead praise, and I mean, I'd fly in and then, you know, send the praise set out and then fly back out on that Sunday. Um, I was constantly uh, on the road traveling a lot. Um, and, then I, and then I met Shelly, right? Um, I was in Denver, and we had this long-distance thing going on for a while. It was easy to talk over email and stuff like that because, you know, I'm so much more courageous over email, <laughs> right? Uh, I can, like, write poems and stuff. Yeah, nice. Um, but I think, uh, you know, that was my first job out of college. So I stayed at Pertivity for nine years. And just to rewind a little bit more, so going back to college, and I think um, a lot of my roots of who I am today started off in college. So I was always like this passionate, energetic, um, stubborn, prideful guy, you know. I, you know, I was like fearless. I really was. I, I wouldn't try anything and anything. Um, and, you know, if my friends didn't want to do it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it myself then, right? I joined an Asian fraternity. That's like crazy, right? I think it's crazy. You know, back in the day, everyone used to say Asian fraternities are like, you're joining a, a college gang. I was like, whatever. But, I, you know, I was really, um, I was really spiritual. Um, you know, I, I found Christ uh, in high school. And so I always said I was going to join this Asian fraternity. If you want to know why I really joined, it's because I wanted to test my faith. It was really funny. It's like, oh, it's going to be a good test. And if I would grade myself on a scale of from A to F, I got a J. It was like so bad, Right? <laughs> Like, I would encourage no one to try something to test your faith. That makes no sense, okay? So, especially when you're in college, right? So, having failed the J, um, I was fortunate to find a job somewhere, and, which is uh, Pertivity. Um, and so, again, traveling a lot the first three years. And I'm going to talk a little bit about oil and gas. Why did I choose oil and gas? And to, truth be told, because I was working in Houston, oil and gas chose me. I mean, this, the industry here is just so large. Um, I was placed on clients that were oil, happened to be oil and gas, and from there I just kind of ran with it. Um, but, you know, I mentioned oil and gas does get a bad rap, right? And so, I, you know, I wanted to show that slide of all the different byproducts for you to understand there's a lot that comes out from oil and gas outside of, you know, like I said, the gasoline in your cars. You know, Pastor, or not Pastor Wayne, Howie, whatever his name is, was talking about, like, you know, oil and gas issues, you know, I was thinking about that because I, I bumped to the pastor in the bathroom. I was like, yeah, dude, there's some serious gas issues going on today. <laughs> but I'm playing with you, kind of. Um, again, see, you put me up here. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Um, but talking about um, my company, o Oasis Petroleum, um, if you know oil and gas, you know that there's a lot of southern roots tied into oil and gas, right? I mean, Houston is the hub of, of the oil and gas industry. Um, and there's a lot of Christian ties to that. So the, what I was drawn to Oasis Petroleum about was uh, because the guy that hired me in, he was a strong Christian. And he's since retired, but he was a chief accounting officer, and he brought me in. And even their, their motto and, and our taglines, um, like it's on my mouse pad, it's be passionate and do the right thing. 
which are two things, two principles I love to live by just in my Christian life. Do the right thing, be passionate. Um, and so that's why I was drawn to Oasis. And as a matter of fact, there's a lot of Christian fingerprints around Oasis. For instance, I thought this was a shock. During our Christmas parties, our CEO prays over our meal, right, before we get started. And of course, there's an open bar on this side of the, of the room. But he, I mean, he takes the time to pray in Jesus' name. And I thought that was phenomenal. That, that caught me off by uh, off guard. Uh, that's the first time I ever had seen that uh, in, my, in the workplace. And so now jumping into why am I still here? Man, I, I got to tell you guys, um, and I'll leave my weakness. I, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? You know, I came out of college, and I will tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't have a whole lot of technical knowledge. I came out of school. I haven't applied a single thing I learned. I hardly learned anything, by the way, in college. Um, earmuffs, Autumn, and everybody else. Uh, uh, you know, and I, I got to the workplace, to the marketplace, and I really didn't know anything. I'll be, I'll be very honest with you guys. Um, heck, even today, I still wonder, like, where, why, how am I still here? I didn't. You know, I don't feel like I'm a technical kind of guy. Like, I talk to our IT group, and they're like, I mean, you, know, you, you need to restart your computer. And then, you know, I'm like, whoa, you guys know a lot. And I know how to restart my computer now every time I have an IT issue, right? Um, but, like, I really don't know a lot. I really, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. I mean, I feel maybe I've, uh, it's just all relevant, but I feel like I didn't come out of college with, you know, um, a whole lot of technical knowledge that I could apply in the workplace. Um, Let's see. But why am I still here? So I mentioned this during announcements. It's not about, I, I mean, an occurrence that came to me was, uh, it's not about me providing for my family. I used to think about that. I was like, oh, I, I need to work hard. and I need to do these things because I want to I love my family and show, demonstrate love in that way. But um, over the last several weeks, as we've gone through this reframe course, not, I haven't necessarily gone through the courses, but I've been thinking a lot about work, and I always have been. Um, it became a matter of, you know, this is God providing and loving us, not me, right? And it, it starts centering around God as the provider, not necessarily me as the provider. But I also realized that our workplace, our office, and that is the prime venue to live out our Christian faith, right? It's pretty easy to live, my Christian, live out my Christian faith here with you guys. Um, it's somewhat easy to live it out at home, you know, if I can, like, get my kids in order, um, but in the workplace, I mean, you're experiencing and encountering so many different people. And you talk about fruits of the Spirit and being able to live that out, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, I memorize it because my kids sing the song all the time. You know, um, self-control. And, you know, the workplace, to do it with people that aren't believers, that have crazy personalities left and right, that is the venue I realized over the last several months is there's not a better place to be a Christian to really actually live out your faith and in the workplace. Um, just because of all, again, we'll talk about the temptations, but all the different interactions that you have. Um, and then how do you fit, right, and, and contain, call it, all the internal things that you have, your pride, you know, um, your sense of accomplishment, achievement, you know. Um, and there's a lot of gossip, slandering, all that stuff goes on in the office, and it's, it's a shock, right? But maybe it is, isn't a shock, but it happens all the time, every single day. And so the, the verse I wanted to bring up today, the one that I, I um, have stuck with me since I um, started in college, was this one, starting from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. 
I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. And so, as, as I think about that, there's a few things that stick out, right? Um, and just to kind of summarize it is, we've been entrusted with, with the mysteries of God. We've been entrusted with stuff. Um, and then I took the second part of this thing way too literally back in college. I don't care what anyone thinks about me, right? Ain't no one going to judge me. I don't even judge myself. I actually do judge myself a lot. But then the third thing that really stood out to me um, was, even though my conscience is clear, that still doesn't make me innocent. So I might, I might be thinking I'm doing the absolutely right thing in the world, in God's eyes, in the eyes of everybody else, but it still doesn't make me innocent. Only God knows uh, the motives of my heart. Even sometimes I don't even understand what it is, right, because it's influenced by things that I'm too blind to see. And so we talk about it being entrusted. God has entrusted us with something. Um, and it, for me, it's, it's more about being entrusted with financials and finances and things like that because, you know, tithing faithfully, giving to people that are in need, right? That's just one component of it, I really believe, right? And so, you know, we talked about, Pastor Wayne mentioned, you know, our positions of influence and how do we, we've been entrusted with that. How, do, how, how am I using and utilizing that? And I struggle with it because I feel like oftentimes I'm that guy. I'm, I mean, I am who I am. I'm not going to lie. That's one thing I'm happy about, I'm proud to say. I'm the same guy in the office that you see, like, outside of the office, right? I'm pretty consistent. I like to think that, except when I do presentations, and then I go, like, no. And then, you know, pretend that I'm, I'm professional. Um, but I really think that my personality in the office is the same personality outside the office. And uh, if you know me, I'm pretty outgoing. I'm an extrovert. I love interacting with people. I'll be the one that, to invite you to a happy hour. I'll be the one to set up a happy hour. Um, yeah, you know, I know. It's, it's kind of, it's I, I laugh at it myself, but... I enjoy that stuff. I'm that social person. And I also realize that that's a gift that God's given me. Because um, uh, I don't think everyone, I've met a lot of people that are introverts. They don't like to talk to people. And that's fine. I'll still talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, more recently, I've been thinking about like the bigger questions. Uh, I really have. And maybe you guys have thought about this. Like, and this is my stubbornness. I, I think, who in the world decided eight to five was a thing, Right? Why? Who, who thought that business casual? Who determined that was a thing, right? Like, there's all these things that we have to force our ways into, right? Because someone said it was the right thing to do, or whatever it is. And I, I question these things all the time. I, I wonder all the time, like, is, am I really utilizing the gifts that God has given me to the, you know, in this, in this job? Why am I here? You know, because I get, I get frustrated. Heck, you know, a lot of my questions and conversations with Shelly are, Man, what am I going to do when I retire at the age of 45? <laughs> it's a big question. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to do an active retirement. What do I want to do? Like, what am I passionate about? Because I come home and I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with how someone treated someone else or how this CFO or this COO or whatever it is, um, how they handle situations. And I, I would say I would never do it that way, right? But that's kind of the cowardly part of me to, to run away from that stuff if I, if I recognize it, right? And so it's like this internal battle within me, like how do I be a light, right? And how do I keep the perspective that this is the venue, the place for me to live out my Christian faith? Um, so talking about 
the, this place here. Um, let's see. So, you know, Pastor Wayne and I talked at length about kind of the struggles, right? Um, what are some of the temptations? Um, I talk about happy hour. Heck, I'm the one that sets them up, right? <laughs> um, but there, there is certainly the one thing, I, the question that he asked Nick last week was around, you know, of the seven deadly sins. And one of the sins that, that stuck out to me was gluttony. Because I feel like in, in, our, in our world, it's, I mean, the, I feel guilt whenever I go, um, you know, I used to at least, <laughs> I've become more numb to it. But there's a lot of fancy meals, right? There's a lot of taking in of, you know, whining and dining and all this stuff. Um, and, and back in the day, like when, I mean, I grew up, my mom instilled some things in me. And, and you know, I feel like I'm not a millennial, by the way. I feel like I'm cut from, you know, that old cloth, old school I really do. Like, you work hard. You do your things. You're not, you're not entitled to anything. And the thing I used to always think about was like, man, I'm eating this fancy steak. What's my mom eating? <laughs> you know, like, that's the kind of stuff I used to think about. Um, but now I've grown a little bit more numb because I've been able to buy her a lot of steaks now. Um, you know, part of, part of the cycle. But gluttony definitely being one of them. Uh, seven, seven deadly sins that really stuck out to me. Um, it's also the gossip and the slander. My goodness, I mentioned it before. Uh, people come in my office and just talk about someone else, and it's easy. It's easy for me to partake and participate. It really is. Um, it's like you don't even know you're doing it until like halfway through, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I just talked trash about this person for the last ten minutes." Um, what else is there? Um, in in the workplace, I mean, in our industry, I know it's not as prevalent in my workplace, but I know in other workplaces, like you know, uh, the temptation of going to inappropriate places, right? Um, I, I guess no one really invites me, so I really haven't, <laughs> but, you know, it, but I've seen other people, you know, for sure, for certain in our, in our organization, um, that go to such places, uh, and it's, it's commonplace for them because it's commonplace in their, in their daily lives and their personal lives, right? Um, and so I think that's, that might be where people who, um, only invite those that they know enjoy or would, would do, would participate in those type of events would go, but, um, that stuff is very prevalent. There's one guy in our in our organization, I'll, and I'll jump um, transition, Pastor Wayne, for us to, to go into a time of question, uh, question and answer. Is um, that always comes in, and he's always asking if I've seen the new girl in the office, right? This guy's like 80, <laughs> like he's really old, right? And he's the one that's always constantly coming in. He's like, Paul, you see that? Yeah, and I'm like. No, man. I think, you know, it's just, and it's a constant thing. And it's like, why? But I also realize that, that those are the temptations that, that come with the workplace, right? Um, I don't know why he feels comfortable, but I realize after talking to some other coworkers, he does that with everybody, right? So it's not just me. Um, anyhow, um, hopefully that's given you a little bit of insight of what I do. You know, I talk about process improvement, process design. That's part of who I am innately now. Um, even like talking about tithing, I always I tell Shelly, like, Hey, you know, let's cut down on the number of checks. Let's tie it once a month so we can still participate, <laughs> right? That's just how my brain operates. It's like, how do I squeeze the most out of little, right? Um, so that we can always just be like, you know, thinking of how do we save and how do we do things more efficiently. So that being said, I'm hoping that I made this pretty efficient right on time. Pastor Wayne, if you want to come up and we can. Here, I'll just sit over here. Oh, no. So, um, you know, here's the thing. I recognize that whenever 
you ask somebody to come up to the front, whether it's to give a talk or to lead in some capacity, you're sticking your neck out, and that's hard. So just want to encourage you to take a deep breath at this time as I kind sure. of transition. Take a deep breath, and, you know, oftentimes people who stick their necks out experience a little bit of a vulnerability hangover. So encouragement, let's give Paul a hand. <laughs> and I want to give you another tip, uh, if I may. Uh, have you ever seen The Godfather Part 2, the movie? No. Godfather Part 2, there's a scene where uh, uh, Vito Corleone, right, the father is, is Vito, right, played by Robert De Niro. And his friend is like, look at this beautiful woman, look at this beautiful, she's the most beautiful woman. And he says, I got eyes for only one woman. I got eyes for only one woman. So that's what you can say in that situation to the 80-year-old man. I got eyes only for one woman, just one, just one. She's okay, but one woman. Okay. Vulnerability hangover. <laughs> Coming. <clears throat> so, um, and I was really struck also by another story you told about um, the CEO at the company party um, praying. And I come from the north, uh, the northern part of the United States, where behavior like that, I think, is just less common. Um, people in companies or at work, especially the higher up they go, they tend to either closet themselves more or lose their faith entirely. And do you feel like that that's a temptation here in Houston to, to go through that? Is that, uh, and being more outspoken about your Christian faith, does that, do, you, do you feel that that's a strength? Is it helpful? And how should somebody, I guess there's a bunch of questions in one, so you can kind of just respond however you want. But how does somebody, as they grow up in a company, continue to exemplify a Christian life, not just by praying at the company meal, but because people are watching all the time? And I'm sure the CEO, talk about vulnerability hangover, CEOs bear the brunt of a lot of criticism. And so how can they live as a Christian, not just by praying, but the other rest of the time that they're using their mouth and words? Right. And so... Um... Yeah, you talk about like the CEO, so we'll talk about him a little bit. But, um, you know, <clears throat> I think that it's in his nature, um, as he speaks to the leadership, the entire organization, he talks about certain things that are, I believe are aligned with the Christian faith. So he talks about how can we be better tomorrow than we are today, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and he's pretty consistent in this message. He also talks about how do we make this a place where people are excited to come and work. And then the last thing he always Sounds talks like church. about. Yeah. The other thing he talks about is, um, and he always says this, 10% uh, of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you respond, mm. right? And so whenever I hear him talk, I also feel like I, he's almost like preaching and ministering to us. Um, and then, although, you know, th there are different things, right? I mean, he's got the big old house and he's got, you know, he talked about how he went to the Porsche dealership and Bought his wife a car, and he's like, ah, you know what, just throw a second one in, you know. <laughs> I mean, he talks about that. He talks about, like, you know, my horses that, I, you know, I mean, he's got a lot. But I think he also, um, from a sense of responsibility to the team, to the organization, um, you know, fundamentally speaking, uh, outside of the materialism, I think that he certainly has those, those thoughts. Yeah. yeah. That sounds a little bit in line with one of the deadly sins that you spoke about, gluttony and materialism. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that or how? Let me, let me ask yeah. you this. How <clears throat> might one who is a Christian in your line of work subvert that? Mm. That's a good question. Um, you know, one of the areas I think that um, I used to struggle in quite a bit 
was around um, expense reports, right? Um, we had so much freedom in consulting um, to, to take people out to eat. And, you know, it's meant to be, you know, for networking and things like that, right? And oftentimes it would turn out to be like, oh, you know, I haven't taken this person out to eat in a long time <laughs> or whatever it is, right? So uh, it's easy uh, to get gluttonous in, in that form and fashion with expense reports. But um, how, how do we subvert it in, in the workplace as a Christian? Um, that's a tough question because, right, there's that borderline of participating and declining, rejecting an invitation, uh, which one might think that is going to impact or adversely impact their, you know, how they're viewed, mm-hmm. how they're perceived in the workplace. Um, but, yeah, that's a question, good question. I don't know. Um, one of the things I liked, one of the observations another manager made, we were at uh, the Houston or the uh, River Oaks Country Club one time, uh, and, you know, you valet your car, and here's the value. We're all coming out from this big event. All these companies that are gathered around there, they start bringing out, the valet guy starts bringing out all the cars. I don't drive a fancy car, right? Our CFO doesn't drive a fancy car. Um, there was another guy that there was there that doesn't drive a fancy car, and this, this manager, other manager said, that's pretty awesome that, you know, he, you see all these BMWs, Mercedes, and, all the, and then you see the cars that they brought up for our executive team for us, and it's like, you know, we're just, of course, people are, like, looking and judging, but I think that's part of it. I'm proud of what I drive. I'm proud of what I have. Um, you know, I'm thankful for what I have, and so that's one way is to uh, not submit to what the expectations expectations are, because I think that sometimes people are like, oh, you don't, that's what you drive? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't care, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's part of it. Yeah. Here's a hard question that I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Were you ever tempted to expense more than, Absolutely. than was ethically, you know, and that dealing with the finance world and economics, um, how is that, so you mentioned gluttony, mm. but how is that integrity, honesty, um, yeah. How is that also uh, a part of your sanctification as a Christian? And do you feel like you're growing as a man of your word? Mm. Yeah. Um, so to answer your first question around, like, you know, expense reports. So I think what, what hit me was when I became in a managing position where I was approving other people's expense reports, right? And it's almost like when you become a parent for the first time, right, the perception perspective starts to change. And so I started seeing like, oh, my goodness, you know, here I was getting like upset about something. But in reality, there was nothing different than what I may have done in the past as far as like, wait, so why'd you go out four times this week, you know, like and expense these meals in? But um, so I think that's where the changing, the turning point happened for me is the, re- the self-realization um, as I got into a different position. Um, other question that you asked. Uh, man of your word. Man of my, yeah. So, um, you know, I think that as I continue to grow, and I still am growing, and I'm still maturing, man, I am. I'm, I am still, I will self-profess that I'm immature in many, in many facets. Um, but more recently, over the last couple of years, um, I've been downtrodden a little bit with, you know, obviously the industry has taken a turn. Um, now we're on the what we call the rebound, but if if you you probably everyone's been able to, to reap the benefits of lower gasoline prices, I get it. Uh, but part of that is also how that impacts us, right? And so um, talking about being downtrodden, you know, for the first time I had to lay off somebody, right, and, and tell them that their job is no longer available, um, and have to look a man in his eye and know that he had a family to go home to. That was, you know, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of soul searching. Yeah. Uh, more recently, I even talked about it that. I had, Giving really, really bad or critical performance reviews is not easy, right? It's really not easy, especially when 
their job is essentially being not threatened, but it's it's being put on notice. Mm. Uh, and it, it's a lot of soul searching. It's a lot of talking about my conscience is clear, but it doesn't make me innocent, right? Uh. Here's the organization telling me like, this is normal. This is fine. It's okay for you to give this feedback. It's okay for you to lay off somebody. Uh, no matter how much someone tells me that, that doesn't sit well with me, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, but I also believe there's a way to do it with grace. And, um, but yeah, it's where the, the clashing, right? It collides where the workplace, the organization collides with your spiritual, spirituality, and that's where it gets and difficult. fallen world realities. Right. The, the reality that we live in a fallen world and things like this happen. And in an ideal world, everybody could be employed for the rest of their life with complete job security and... Um, so, you know, it, it's, I can hear, and not just from you, but from many people about just the myriad of difficulties and challenges of how to be a Christian. Now, just because your CEO is a Christian, I'm assume, I'm, I shouldn't be under the assumption that your company is a Christian company, right? It's not I mean, necessarily. It's not broadcasted like that, no. So, it's, it's, it's open, they can hire anybody they want. Absolutely. So, it's not explicitly a Christian company, and so things happen in companies, whether, you know, whatever the culture is, things happen. There are real people there. And, you know, I find that uh, one of the great challenges is continually keeping in the mindset of, let me rephrase this, continually keeping a spirituality mindset, Um, continually thinking spiritual things. It's very hard. Um, especially when you just start going into work, it's like you start engaging a different part of your brain. And it's performance-oriented, and faith is the last thing on your mind. You know what I mean? Do people know what I mean? Like, you're no longer thinking Christianly. Now I'm thinking worldly and secularly, and that's actually part of the problem. And so I find that the challenge, even as a pastor, is to continually bring my brain back have devices and tools to bring me back to my faith, bring me back to spirituality, bring me back, whether it's prayer or scripture or whatever it is, but what disciplines do you, Paul, employ to continue to bring your back into the presence of God and remind yourself, I belong to Him? Hmm. Good question. So, um, and you know this, so with the toolbox, there's a thing uh, once a month, men's Bible study called Toolbox Luncheon, and I've actively, every month, um, invited somebody from my organization to come join me. I know, Pastor Wayne, you've met a couple of, uh, of my coworkers while we've had lunch there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way that I can actively broadcast, um, you know, who I am uh, beyond just the Paul Kim at the workplace. Um, another thing I do is um, I'll close my door, um, and people kind of know that, you know, I hardly ever close my door, by the way. Uh, my door is always open. Whenever I do close my doors, because I need... Um, a moment of, of just kind of call it spiritual silence, um, just to, you know, if I'm feeling that I'm struggling in that in that moment, mm-hmm. um, then I, then I'll have I'll go onto YouTube of all things, not even Pandora, but and just play some Christian music and, and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will, you know, one of the things I always make a point to do, you know, I think we all have some downtime, uh, or we need a, a brain break, right, in our workplace from our computer screens. I know a lot of. Folks will surf the internet, go, you know, to ESPN or whatever it is, go whatever website there is to, to get brain relief. There's a lot of distractions out there, too. What I, what I actively intend, try to do is to go to someone else's office and just have a conversation. Mm. Um, that's kind of what I try to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and not even ask him like how's work going but ask him so you know how are you doing mm-hmm. and how's it going um, on that front because uh, oftentimes that leads to good discussion yeah yeah and a connection a human connection mm-hmm. uh, yeah that reminds me of you know we're familiar and I've thrown the phrase out here practicing the presence of God that's an old book written hundreds of years ago about how we can continue to continually be in God's presence. And somebody recently wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of People and how it's just as spiritual to be present and to connect with another human being in a, in a genuine, you know, um, connecting, just practicing the presence of people around you. And that can also be a spiritual practice. That's great. Are there any burning desires or last things that you'd like to share that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, Hopefully, I think I, I, um, people relate with me is, you know, c- constantly questioning um, what is it that, especially in the call it the corporate industry, you know, corporate world. Um, like I envy people like like Shelly, and I know she doesn't think so, but I envy people like Nick and John, like where you actually can tangibly see your hands helping people yeah. and helping, you know, whether it's health, lives, or you know, consulting and, and counseling families. Um, I feel like there's something tangible there. For me, it's like, okay, we get oil out of the ground, right? And it's hard for me to find purpose it's hard for me, you know, from a corporate standpoint. But when I talk about, like, being repurposed in the workplace, you know, it's, for me at least, how I come up, you know, on Monday mornings, and I don't really dread Monday mornings anymore, more so than um, I always kind of re- refocus Monday mornings on my drive about the people. It's always about the people for me. Mm. Um, there's really nothing about the actual work that excites me um, as much as it is the people that I'm about to do that work with. Mm -hmm. And so um, I still believe that, I mean, without this work that I have, there's so many lives and people and relationships that never would have happened Mm -hmm. um, as a result. So kind of keeping that perspective that every day is an opportunity. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's give Paul a hand once, once again because you... You know, you stick your neck out when you share your story and you lead uh, from your weakness, especially when you lead from the front. But at this time, for the balance of our time, I'd like you to turn to a person next to you, maybe in a, a group of anywhere between, you know, three to four, three to five people. And in your bulletin, you're going to find these questions in your notes, these same questions. And the questions vary, uh, you know, uh, they vary, you know, talking about what is the foundation, the th- if, if the fall never happened, how would your work have been described? And in what areas does the fall touch your work? What areas are you most vulnerable? But in particular today with Paul, I focused on the, the questions in black, six to eight. What are the Christian disciplines that you utilize? What are the things that you use to get out of your head? What are the, you know, uh, you know Paul shared about closing the door and turning on praise music or being with people. What are the practices that you use to get you uh, back into the right place, right frame of mind. Um, I'd like you guys to focus on those questions. And if not, you can look at the other ones as well. But turn to your neighbor and, um, yeah, for the next few minutes, just uh, discuss those things at this time. So why don't we do that? This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.